there about the yellow, how they're great in salads. Just so um, everyone realizes, mushrooms actually have a, um, a coating, if you like, that is called chitin. And that's all mushrooms. And they actually, humans can't break them down. So if you're eating mushrooms raw, they're fine but you don't get any nutritional value out of them. So they, oh. you can imagine it, you know, if you're in a unit, you probably don't want sugarcane mulch or straw all over <laughs> the place. It can be a little bit messy, but yeah, get started and be open to change, I suppose. <laughs> That's awesome advice for sure. Women on a Green Mission. Follow along as two friends document their unfailing permaculture journeys. Join our chats each week where we will be sharing how we and others apply the ethics and principles of permaculture to our gardens and daily life. We're no experts. We're at the start of our journey, learning and fumbling our way to a greener life. You're guaranteed to witness a few successes, plenty of failures, laughs and swearing. We'd love your company along the way. You're listening to the Practical Permaculture Podcast with Joe Flintham and Elise Gallagher. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am good. I am good. What's been happening this week? Uh, we're slowly moving south this week to make it to Newcastle. If you listen to last week's episode, um, I'm heading to Joe's place. Yay! <laughs> I'm going to go park up and be roomies with Joe for a week. Um, so we're recording this just before Christmas, so we'll be heading to Newcastle and then flying down to Adelaide for Christmas to see some family, which is nice. I can't wait. It'll be so good to see you on Sunday. Really looking forward yes. to it. And we get to plan to do some recordings together rather than over the interweb so that we can be together and have that energy and, you know, ping pong back and forth um, with our banter a bit more, which will be nice. Yeah, I think it'll be good. It'll be I think it'd be far more casual because we'll just be able to kick yeah. back and just natter on. Like, it's yeah, it is so different when we're recording via video, but how lucky are we to have that technology to be able to do that? Like, really. Oh, totally. Really yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it'll be, it'll be what good. What about you? What if? Oh, well, this week um, I've accepted a job. So if you've listened to yeah. Yeah, previous episodes, um, we decided to wind up our business. Um, it's been several years and we're sick of traveling. So we decided to go back into the job market, which I know is probably the opposite of what a lot of people would want to do or want to hear. But for us, it means that there's stability. It means that we've got a regular income coming in. Um, that means we can get more projects finished and um, have some routine. I've, I've missed routine. Ne- never, ever thought projects I'd Projects around that, the but- farm, you mean? Projects around the farm, yeah, that's right. Because before, yeah, with, yeah. yeah, with being all over the place and, you know, it was sort of, um, well, it wasn't so much feast and famine in the business, but there was a lot of um, moving parts to it and, and a lot of travel and mm. a lot of stress. And when you're stressed, sometimes you just don't have the mental capacity for for other things. So even when I wasn't busy doing yeah. work, it was like I was sort of kind of stuck in this spiral which I couldn't then really devote a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. to projects so now I've got one more project to finish for well a, a a business project to finish for a client and then I'm done and then yeah kick off uh work just before Christmas so really excited for that um looks like it's Big a changes. great company and it's going to be a good fit for for us uh, uh for myself and for them so yeah big exciting. big changes yeah big changes and we are, have also been um, planting out more trees. So 
these trees, <laughs> I think some people can relate, have been sitting in pots for way too long. These were those purchases oh, that I just couldn't go past. They were either uh, like we bought uh, macadamias and loquats off um, uh, some local mm. ladies from uh, like we're just on Facebook Marketplace and, of course, they popped mm. up and I went, oh, I need those in my life right now. Um, and we had no plans for them. <laughs> so they've been sitting in their, in their pots eking by and I felt so sorry for them. Plus we had, you know, we bought a heap of white mulberries. We've got a heap of chatoot mulberries, both red and white in already. But um, we went to a nursery for something totally different and there was a, it's lethal, a little for, you know, on sale section, that little sort of group of plants. Oh, that, yeah. oh these have been marked down white mulberries and oh, yeah, so yeah. I grabbed myself four of those because you know you can never have enough mulberries um so we mm-hmm. put a few of those in yesterday but I tell you what geez it's hard going here we got really heavy clay yeah. soil yeah yeah we got clay soil too oh. yeah Oscar's gonna be in a rude shock when we um get on the land because I've literally just been on marketplace on my phone like saving all these things that I'm like oh that's a good resource that's a good reason I'm gonna get that so when we like settle and we get up there he'll get home from being away from work one day and there'll just be all this stuff on the block because I'm like you I'm like I can't go past that deal I want that we want an outdoor bathtub don't we what about some old wheelbarrows for like decoration and what oh, plants can I get? And so, I'd, yeah, he's going to have just stuff on the front lawn, I think, for a while. There's so much temptation. There's so much. But also freebies. And I know that I've plugged this before, but freebies, 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 because yeah. most free stuff that you'll see, you know, on Marketplace or anywhere else would otherwise go to landfill. If people can't get rid of it, they just get the craps and they just mm. ditch it. So we've picked up two trampolines this week, um, not because I'm getting into exercising on a trampoline. No, 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 no. I just see you on the podcast on the trampoline, Joe. We picked up um, an eight-foot one, so that's going to go into, um, well, it'll probably go in with the chickens for a little while until we can get the Madagascar bean growing up and over their dome. We've got an old trampoline that we converted into just a dome. Just for shade? Ago. Just for shade, yeah. Cool, yeah, so that's we'll a good idea. In there. Um, that'll give them a little bit of extra shade. And then we've got a 14-foot one that we've put out in the paddock for the sheep. The horses seem yeah. to be more interested in it than the sheep at the moment. I've, I've just yeah, convince them that they can't actually get under there. They're a bit too big for that. Um, oh, but so I'm hoping that, um, yeah, it'll just give them a little, like we've put it in a shady area anyway, but it just is going to give them some denser shade mm-hmm. and a little bit of uh, weather protection as well because we do have the stable, but two horses, three sheep often don't go into the stable um, together. All together. So yeah. I thought, well, yeah. instead of having to have this huge project where we've got to build all these shelters and, you know, often buy material, even though we upcycle a lot of it here, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's often still things you've got to buy. We went, well, let's just use trampolines. It, they're the perfect height. They're yeah. totally usable. And then what we're going to do from there is keep collecting them because a lot of people are getting rid of them at the moment. And we're going to use mm-hmm. those to make um, exclusion tunnels. So, again, instead of having to buy polypipe or anything like that, you just use half a trampoline over the top and you can use your connectors and your your, netting poles for, um, if anyone that's listening to the podcast, I'm describing it with my arms, so I'm sure you can totally picture that. Um, But, yeah, you just use the netting poles. That's a good idea. Yeah. So that's going to save on cost. That I have to buy because again I'm collecting free or very cheap old screen doors. Um, the only thing that we would have to mm-hmm. buy is the um, 
either the the veg net or the shade cloth depending on what we're going to use we're thinking we might even use shade cloth yeah um and then Mm -hmm. in winter we can even then put plastic over it so um like heavy duty clear plastic that we can then reuse and have that Mm. as a hothouse so we can potentially extend our growing season so we'll see whether we actually need to get to that stage but it gives us options and we don't have to pay a lot of money the only effort is basically yeah yeah, throwing the trailer on on the ute and going and, and picking up well, after talking to um, Kelly today, we talked to Kelly from um, the Pickle Patch. She gave me some great ideas because we'll be starting from scratch. I was really interested in how she was digging the holes in preparation. You know, it might be a whole year or season ahead to prep the soil for all her trees. Like I I was kind of racking my brain thinking, oh, we're going to have to have all these big composts and create all this dirt or get some soil you know brought in and then let it sit there so the ph kind of levels itself out and how are we going to build these beds and you know get the soil up to scratch but that was such a clever idea that she had to just dig out where you're going to be planting and just chuck some scraps in there and you know leaf litter and mulch and veggie scraps and everything to just condition the soil and let that break down what else did she say Yeah. yeah anything organic we really clever um with the trees that we've just planted and we do with every tree that we plant that's why we have to dig a hole and not just plant above ground um but we put Mm. our um our animals like mainly like chickens or poultry um Mm. that have passed away or any like rabbits that have been found dead on the property that might have died from um mixo or something like that um you know or any you know even rodents that we find um they all they all go into the deep freezer (laughs) our morgue and when we're ready to plant a tree they come out and they go under the tree we bury them deep enough that they're not going to get dug back up plus they've also got a cage around them as well so that you know prevents um some access but i mean i suppose if something really wants to dig it up it it probably Mm. will but we haven't had anything dug up yet and we don't really bury them that deep and you said you're on clay soil there, which that's what we're going on to really heavy and a quite compacted clay. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to break it up. And I went to the lady at the um, native nursery and she was like, so many people have failures with all of their natives here, like mound it and all that kind of thing. But how, how do you find um, working with clay soil and being where you are? It's shit. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Give me heaps of confidence. <laughs> Get a good workout. Shit, or your plants will die. The hard work of digging it up isn't my kind of issue. I just don't want everything to die because it's getting waterlogged or that it, you know what I mean? That's my issue that I'm building about. Building it up is absolutely the way to go. Just make sure that the mound is quite uh, flat at the top so I'm not creating this sharp angle where the water's just going to run away. Um, I've created Mm -hmm. a a nice flat top and then a very gentle slope down the side. Do a little bit of digging out just around the base of the tree to encourage water to go down there to start with and then Mm -hmm. mulch the crap out of it, like Charlie Carp as well, like the pellets. Um, We've always got a bag of those. I mean, Charlie Carp's fantastic. It it utilises. Oh, Charlie Carp. Never heard of it. So they're a company that take carp out of the waterways because carp are a pest in Australia. So they take carp out of uh, the waterways and they turn that into a fish emulsion uh, liquid and pellets. It's a win-win. They're taking a pest out Ooh. of the environment and they're providing a product to gardeners, which is fantastic. The plants absolutely love it. So I'm I'm a big fan. Like I try and keep everything as um, as much possible in that closed-loop system that we've got here by using compost and weed teas and things like that. Mm. But 
every now and then it is good if you find something that really does work. It's a natural product, um, you know, and yeah. it's, it's taking that pest out of the environment. So it's like, yeah, I can't see the issue there. Love it. Well, that's good to know. Well, let's get into today's episode then, hey? Fantastic. I think so. I think we've kept everyone waiting long enough with us nattering on, but I, um, I know <laughs> everyone's going to love this episode because who doesn't love mushrooms? Yeah. So Kelly, she's got the pickle patch. She's got a mushroom thing going on and she shares a bit about her land and how she got into permaculture. So it's really good listening to her and catching up with um, what she's doing there. Wonderful. And we'll make sure that we put all the links that we talk about in the episode in the show notes. And also check mm -hmm. us out on uh, the Facebook. What, is it? what have we got? We've got a Facebook group, haven't we? A Facebook group. Yeah. Yay. It's a yeah, Facebook group. So <laughs> I know if you jump on there, most of the people who interview end up on there too, which is cool. So they can maybe add to the conversation once the podcast goes live we can ask some questions but we can also um joe and i can keep that conversation going afterwards if you've got more things you wanted to know about or something you wanted to clarify or just to add to the conversation you can jump in there and do that or a little community if there's a particular topic that you want us to cover or maybe a particular yeah. person that you may want to um have us interview then you can certainly pop that in the group as well Enjoy. Well, hi, welcome back to the Practical Permaculture Podcast. We've got Kelly Wall today from The Pickled Patch. Hi, Kelly, welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Yeah, really good today. Wonderful. And of course, we have Elise. <laughs> so, when we kick off, we also like to acknowledge. Uh, the lands, the Aboriginal lands of which we're recording on. So I'm recording from the lands of the Wanarua people here in Leakenfield, New South Wales. Kelly, where are you? Uh, so I'm in Madawi on the land of the Waramai. I grew up in Nelson Bay, so I'm familiar with ah, that kind yeah. of area. Yeah, yeah but at the far. moment, <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. At the moment, I'm up at Broom's Head recording on Yeagle Country. Fantastic. So the pickled patch. So let's, I suppose, let our um, our listeners and our viewers know a little bit about the pickled patch. So you're based at Madawi, and yeah. the pickled patch is. I'm going to let you explain it because it's going to be far more <laughs> far more coherent if you explain what the pickled patch is. Okay, so um, it's just um, like it's our home. And um, it's a permaculture designed garden um, around that. And then, as a side, we've started. I've started doing some mushroom uh, growing workshops, and um, we're using this space here as a sort of about a, a demo um, property to grow yeah. mushrooms on and teach people how to grow mushrooms easily at home. Easy to grow lots of mushrooms at home. So nice and low cost and accessible for everyone. Absolutely, yeah. Most of the stuff that we use, you can actually, you've probably got at home already. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's wonderful. So we want to definitely want to dive into that, but before yeah. we do, so that's a little bit about the pickle patch. So tell us about yourself and your family. Okay, so um, my real job, apart from this, is um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love well, that. this is a full time job as well, but. Um, my other job is as a paramedic, 
Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I've been a paramedic now for about 21 years. Um, yep. So I suppose uh, my permaculture garden and all that got started sort of as a catalyst to of that um, and being on road for so long and um, I, need, I needed an outlet if that makes mm. sense. So I needed, a, a you know, something to get away from um, the on-road stuff and, you know, unfortunately the trauma that sometimes comes along with that job. Uh, and my mum and dad always had gardens growing up and grow, grew a lot of their own sort of food. Um, so I sort of had an interest from there. And then uh, we come to this place um, in Madawi um, about 12 years ago and we, you know, I started a few gardens and all that sort of thing, but sort of really wasn't making any traction. You know, it'd be feast or famine. I'd have, you know, yeah. heaps of tomatoes one day, you know, and then nothing for months. And, yeah, so I was sort of starting to do a few courses and, you know, workshops with a few different people and that around here, uh, learning more about it. Um, and then and also... Um, um, Aaron Boyer from Urban Culture, who um, is like a mushroom growing, and he actually was had a little business. He was in the back of a truck and going around Australia teaching people how to grow mushrooms. That's so, cool. um, yeah, I was like, oh, that looks interesting, something different. And so I, I did one of his beginner courses initially. Um, and then um, I had a job go quite badly um, at work and decided that I actually thought I was not going to go back. I, I took a year off and, um, you know, got my head together, if you like. And um, and in that time, I actually did, uh, it was like two, 2019, so just before the pandemic. Um, and I actually went and did my PDC with Brett Cooper up at Limestone. Yep. Um, and that sort of changed our lives um, wow. You know, even as a family, it changed our lives quite significantly. Um, all of a sudden, I had the knowledge and all that to, you know, start my gardens much more than I had before and in an easier way. Um, you know, we all sort of in this podcast, we know what permaculture um, does and all that sort of thing and how, how it can be much easier to do than normal, um, you know, monocropping and all that sort of thing. So, um, it took me a little while to convince my husband. He didn't really understand what I was trying to do in the beginning and he loves his lawn. So, um, And I have three boys as well, so they liked their motorbike track and, and all that sort of thing. So it has taken a little while to, you know, scramble some space from their um, mm -hmm. pursuits, the lawn and, <laughs> and so forth. Um, but I actually took my husband up to Brett's on a farm tour one day and he come back and he was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. I see what you're doing here. Yeah, yeah, so I get it now. Um, and I suppose on the other side, I was really interested. Um, so one of my sons who's 16, Braith, um, has severe cerebral palsy. And so he's uh, like nonverbal and in a chair. Um, but he's also peg fed. Um, so, you know, so through a tube in his tummy and... Um, as a result of that, the he was fed this formula um, that, you know, lots of peg-fed um, adults and children are on. And I just looked at it and he was 
not gaining weight and he was vomiting all the time and I'm like, this this is not working. And yeah. um, we ended up, you know, and I wanted to have beautiful fresh food that I could use um, to to feed him as opposed to this grotty formula that had corn syrup and all this horrible stuff in it. So, and, you know, unfortunately it's really expensive to buy organic veggies and and not only that often um it's not available or not the you know in the quantities that sort of we needed so um that was another catalyst to grow our own food and and all that sort of thing and I'm happy to report he's now been on blended diet or real food for several years and has put on weight and looks so much better so just by using real food yeah so that I suppose is, you know, what really led us to, you know, permaculture and growing our own food and so forth. Mm. You find even the organic veggies on the store. I don't think people tend to buy them as much. They tend to sit there and they're not Absolute, fresh. Absolutely. Which is kind of a bit counterintuitive really when you're trying to buy organic vegetables and then they uh, sit there because no one's buying them because they're expensive expensive and also so, they don't look great either they're, no they're they just don't not, yeah so the quality um, isn't there we well, i actually often do a like a veggie rescue um from one of the supermarkets around here and the organic produce is the stuff that comes through a lot because it you know one it's all wrapped in plastic as well and put a use by yeah. date on it I've never that. <laughs> I know so silly yeah so yeah so often that's the stuff that will come through you know so yeah you're right people don't buy it because it doesn't Ooh. look nice often I mean you know like even though we're very close to Newcastle here we're still like a, a smaller town so the the actual choice of our organic veggies is pretty poor as well yeah, so being able to to grow your own, and then after so doing the design course, um, sort of touching on what you were saying, it was either feast or famine. You'd have a glut, or you know, there's nothing yeah. there at all. So you've That's now right. been able to to learn how to um, you know have food growing successionally and be able to stack functions to be able to get the Absolutely. best out of it. Because obviously, you're a busy woman. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're a, you're a you're a mum, you're a wife, you're a paramedic, you're running mushroom workshops. Like, yeah. you know, sleeping, is that optional? Is that? <laughs> it is a little bit, yes. We, there's not a whole lot of sleep in this house. But, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I suppose, like, I'm really lucky. My other boys and even Braith um, loves coming out into the garden. And as part of um, my design in my garden, you know, we've done wider paths and, yeah. um, and all that sort of thing to accommodate Braith. And I've even found in workshops, like, it's great when older people come because they've got the space. They're not, you know, in tiny little paths in between little veggies. That just doesn't work for us. So, um, you know, as I said, by learning all of that, you know, in the PDC, it was was really nice, um, you know, to grow something as opposed to the traditional way that we used to grow in, you know, beds and all that sort of thing. And, you know, we've had a couple of different... Uh, ways that we've done it. I started out with Mandela Gardens and and then just found that was just too overwhelming for my lifestyle. You know, as you say, super busy and I'd come out and, you know, weeds are a part of what it is, but I would come out and it would just be far too overwhelming for me. Um, 
and I would go, oh, I can't, I can't do this. So I had lots of food and lots of stuff in there, but just, yeah, really sort of quite hard to manage um, in, in my life. Uh, so now we've gone to uh, smaller raised beds. So I probably mm-hmm. have the same amount of space to grow in, um, but they're just more manageable. I can, you know, knock over a weeding or a replenishing of a bed in like an hour or so. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I can go, oh, I feel like I've done something. That's fine. And, you know, in my snippets of time, I can grab an hour here and an hour there and yeah. feel like I've done something as opposed to with the big Mandelas that I had, you know, mm-hmm. it, it would be several hours and often I would be up and back because, you know, the kids would need something or, <laughs> you Yeah, know. that's such so, a good point to make yeah. because for people who are starting out you can get really discouraged I think when you Absolutely. try something and it doesn't work or you see something beautiful somewhere and you want to implement it it's so contextual to your property and your needs and how you live your life and we we spent a bit of time talking to um a Will and Anthea from Maplewood yeah. because he does they do the garden design yeah. and he was talking about that and getting to know what his clients do and their routines because that informs your garden and your practice and how you set it up so much and people just sometimes miss that step that connection between yeah and I I think you're right it's so important to to really live in it I suppose like I Mm. I often you know just talking to people and that and they want to get their gardens you know they've built a new house or whatever and they want to get their gardens up and running straight away and which I get you know I'm super excited and uh, and I do the same sort of thing, yeah, but it's a good thing to sort of pull it back a little bit and live in that space for a little while and, and actually like observe, you know, um, yeah. and see what's going on in the garden and what works for you. You know, you might be able to put your herbs a little bit further away because that's the way you go to your clothesline or something. So you see it every day. Um, yeah. So, you know, whereas it might not work for other people, they might need it at their back mm. door because most of their lives are sort of inside. So it just, yeah, yeah I think it's we, very specific to the to the area and, and your lifestyle. We've just bought a property. So I'm frantically like doing my plan up and my yeah. site sector and redoing it all. And I yeah. noticed the other day I was sitting down in a cup of tea, looking at the garden plan, thinking, that's really good, but there's actually not a space for me to sit down with a cup of tea and enjoy it. And the kids play stuff's up there. So if I'm down here, like, is there going to be enough shade if they want to come and join me and do things with yeah. me in the garden? So I'm kind of at that next stage. Like this is all the bones of what we want, but then how are we going to live in that space and yeah. how am I actually going to practically use it and trying to, even though we're not there yet, try and think about how we do live and what our routines Absolutely. might look like. So it's really interesting going through all those layers in the design for sure. Yeah. And it's something that should should change over the years as well. Um, yeah. And I think some people, like, they get their plan and they think that they can't change it. Like, mm. I think it's an evolving thing all the time. And, you know, our lifestyles change as we get older, as our kids get older, that, you know, they're yeah. not using the garden in the same way as, you know, teenagers don't use it in the same way as toddlers do. So um, I think it's it's a really good idea to have a an open mind that the you, your garden will change over time because your use of it changes. As you learn and as you discover and as you're out there, I mean, like I've got my design behind me here. Now, we, yeah. we did this, we did Brett's PDC in winter 
Now, my design's yeah. changed from that. There's some things that I'm like, yeah, this is this is really going to work. But there's other stuff that I've now sat with and I've been out there more often. I'm looking at it going, this is not going to flow. This is not going to achieve everything that I would like it to achieve. It'd still be okay. It'd still work. But is this the yeah. best possible way? So instead of being so invested in, well, this is what I've done and I have to hang on to that, you know, it's a case of, yeah, we get out there and go, hey, you know what, if we just make these changes or, you know, there's there's um, quite a few exclusion tunnels that we'd included, but now I'm looking at that going, do we actually need that many exclusion tunnels? And if we do, do we yeah. need them all now? You know, can this, yeah. can we do one? And then the rest yeah. can wait. And let's see, Absolutely. you know, just make those small changes and then really, you know, have a look at what's happening with that, accept that feedback and then make adjustments as opposed to let's just go hell for leather and put it all in. And I, I totally yeah. get what you're saying about the, the mandala gardens because we had them as well. You know, we'd, we'd made the the chicken domes and we're going to do the chicken tractor systems yep. and I put all this effort into designing and making these huge round beds and then I realised it takes three of us to move the dome because I'd made it too yep. big. It's trying to stay on top of all of them. It was just, it was you know, working full time, yep. it was impossible. So yep. I can, yeah, totally appreciate that. And, yeah, you, you know, a lot of people listening would see a lot of this stuff, you know, if they go on, have a look at permaculture properties on Instagram. Absolutely. Or, you know, and they go, wow, we can have all of this stuff. And it's like if you've got a team of people to help you or yeah. you've got time to invest like it's got to be to as you said your own context and your time yep. and your energy levels and I think that's a big thing too you've got to be yeah. honest with how much energy I mean I've had some days where I'm like I have got so many jobs to do I can't be asked I want to have a yep. cup of tea Incredible. <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah absolutely and I suppose with my life as well um you know with Brace with his disability things change so quickly. Like, we, you yeah. know, we can be all fine and dandy and I'll be out in the garden and then all of a sudden we're, you know, in an ambulance, you know, on the way to hospital because he's taken unwell and, you know, and then I won't see my garden for five days. So it sort of needs to be, um, you know, a little bit self-sufficient as well. So, you know, my garden at times is not pretty you know, uh, we've had a, a bit of a time just recently. So we've had a stay in hospital. We actually had a holiday before that. So at the moment, it's looking a little scrappy, but that's okay. There's still lots of food in there. Um, I'm actually using a lot of the weeds. I have a friend who um, loves, you know, knows all about weeds and what you can use them for and all that sort of thing. So I'm embracing the weeds. <laughs> that's yeah. like in Brett's garden that I was kind of, um, coming to terms with should you say when you walk around you're like that urge should just pull that weed out because you yeah. see it but then he was like well no all the aphids actually prefer the south yes. thistle, so they go to that instead of the brassicas and then I can just pinch the top off and give it to my chickens and I was like oh yeah. that makes so much sense but absolutely I and guess I'm until like, you, you know, know it's it's a process it's taking oh. me it's taking me quite some time to embrace the weeds yeah. Um, you know, and I have a neighbor who come often comes over and he's like, Oh, you know, your garden's always so messy and blah <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, you just need to deal. They are actually, you know, serving a purpose. Like, yeah. you know, at the very least they're keeping the soil from being bare. Mm, so, exactly. you know, and that in itself is, is worth gold. 
And often right. weeds are there because you're lacking in a nutrient. And when that weed eventually dies down or it's taproots or whatever the structure of that weed is, yeah. is doing something. It's actually yeah. really beneficial for the soil in that area. It's what that soil needs. Yeah. So and often often a lot of the weeds you can use medicinally and yeah. you know, in balms and, and all that sort of thing. So I'm learning much more about that as well. And you know, and of course I've always got, you know, chicken and duck feed. When I need to get rid of them or I'm replanting or something, you know, all of a sudden I've got all of that to use. Um, I've got it to use in my compost if mm, I yeah. need to. Um, so at the moment we're in the process. Um, my husband's given a bit more of his yard and I'm actually in the winter, hopefully I'll do some bare-rooted trees. Um, I'm trying to do some nuts and some more stone fruit. Um, and I'm going to espalier them. So where I've got the soil, it's really quite lifeless. So at the moment, we've dug some holes and we're, you know, improving the soil. So all our green waste and our neighbour's green waste is going in there. Um, the weeds that I pick, um, I've had comfrey. So we've done a couple of harvests of comfrey and so much in there. We'd, we've dug out the duck pen for all the manure and all that sort of thing. So I'm hoping by the time the winter comes, that soil will be full of life and mm -hmm. the trees will go in and, you know, we'll have a great um, growth on the trees. Oh, so. that's such a good idea. I'm going to steal that for our yard because yes. we've got literally a block of land and it's all clay soil. And yeah. at the moment there's kangaroos everywhere. So we're going to have to put a fence up and figure out the yep. kangaroo situation. But, um, yeah, I just said to my husband, how are we going to get good quality soil quick enough to plant everything? And that's a great idea to just dig the holes and start in-situ yeah. composting. Yeah. So um, I, and because, like, we will obviously go a little bit because um, we're mostly sand and clay here. It's a mix of sand and clay. Um, mm -hmm. So the clay is not so bad, but the sand, um, you know, like the water just doesn't stay at all. So we will build up a little bit just to, to hopefully – um, you know, keep that water in, in that um, soil. But hopefully by improving the soil as well, you know, that will help the water retention and, and that as well. So, yeah, and it's easy, you know, that's all your waste, like, yeah. um, you know, food scraps and all that sort of thing. Ask your neighbours. Yeah. Often we've just been delivered green bins in, in the Port Stephens area. Uh, we haven't used our green bin and the neighbour hasn't used their green bin because we take it all and use it into our composts and all that sort of thing. So I just had so, this image of you, Kelly, like sneaking down the street at night, like collecting yeah. everyone's green waste <laughs> out of their bins. <laughs> well, it's it's so good. We're in a really lovely street and the neighbours are all fantastic and, you know, often I'm giving them the pro my, you know, my spare produce and all that sort of thing. So they know what we do here. And they're more than willing to like, oh, yeah, well, it saves me. So they'll put their green bins out, you know, at any time. And I'll like, yeah, you're right. I'm going down the road and yeah. <laughs> grabbing their bins. So, yeah. That's, that nice. is brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. See, it's, it's that simple, isn't it? Like it doesn't need to be a complicated yeah. process. It's as simple as no. you know, anyone listening. Just, yeah, if you need some more green waste, talk to your neighbours. Yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, even like local cafes and that are often willing to give away their scraps um you know even their coffee grounds mm -hmm. you know um to use and if you're using them in a big area like coffee grounds can be a little controversial some people like them some people don't um but if you're using it in a big area like we are at the moment I don't think you know you're going to have too much drama when you're using a whole heap of other stuff 
Um, no, we have banner grass as well, so we often will cut the banner grass down, especially this time of year because it, you know, grows again so quickly um, and use that as well. So, yeah. I love that you um, you touched on the, the cafes too. I mean, you know, yeah. there's cafes. There's also like small grocers as well, like your independent grocers because yeah. often yeah. the bigger guys have um, – you know, Systems. Oz Harvest and the, mm, the bigger organisations right. that, that come and collect, which is absolutely fantastic. But if you're just a, a little backyard grower, like I know our IGA down here, I just either give them a call or pop down when I'm down there and say, yeah. you got any scraps? Sometimes I get two or three boxes and I divvy it up between the chickens and the compost. Um, and other times it's like, no, nope, sorry, someone else has come in or no, we just don't yeah. have any shit. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, that's right. That. But, you know, I mean, yeah, well, some we're... of the things that we get are amazing. Yeah, well, we're really lucky too. I'm in a, a little group. Madawi is, is fabulous. We have um, a really fabulous permaculture um, community. Uh, yeah. We often do crop swaps and uh, I think we do fort like fortnightly crop swaps around the wow, area. that's good. Um, yeah, it, it's fabulous and there's quite a few of us in the local area that, um, you know, often exchange things and, and that so, um, but also as part of that, we actually do um, like a veggie rescue from one of the local supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, they do give most of their stuff to Oz Harvest, but Oz Harvest don't take, you know, like the the lettuce leaves that come yeah. off the outside or the, the cabbage leaves and all that sort of thing. All the scrap, it, yeah. Yeah, the scrap stuff. But it's fabulous for either your compost or feeding your livestock you know your chickens yeah. and ducks and turkey like I've got turkeys and ducks here at the moment and they love it like the turkeys especially they're fabulous for getting you know for using all that sort of stuff up so you know and they sure. give them manure out the other side so yeah. you know that's fabulous yeah. too how much land are you on there Kelly we're on uh, an acre and a quarter so we're actually on a little bit more than Brett which is um, but just obviously it's a little bit different um, yeah. than his. But, yeah, we're on about the same size land. Yeah. Um, but we're nowhere, we're nowhere near as advanced as he is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think most of us are anywhere near no, as advanced. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> and it's a lot of work what oh, he does. I don't absolutely. think I could maintain it even if I had it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Like he works super hard to, to have yeah. that and, yeah. So. It all comes back well, to that context, doesn't it? love to, I suppose, dive into the mushroom side of things because I'm excited to talk about mushrooms. I (laughs) love mushrooms and I've always thought, I don't know, and I don't know why, whether I just got in my head about it, I've always thought, oh, mushrooms are something that, you know, you need to almost have a PhD to be able to grow them because you've got to be, you know, super knowledgeable and have this amazing skill and it takes all this time and energy and effort. And I've come to start to understand that that's actually not the case. And I think that a yeah. lot of people may have had the same thinking as as I've had. So I'd love to, yeah. I suppose, start with, you know, you, you sort of shared a little bit about how you got into mushrooms, but how you got really passionate about mushrooms and then how, you know, you sort of, you, the journey has progressed. And I'd love to sort of end with, you know, how simple it is to actually grow because that's the thing I really want to <laughs> yeah. share. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, as I was saying, you know, I did the course, the beginner course with Aaron Boyer um, initially on his first lap around Australia with his little truck um, and, like, just loved it and super easy. I was like, I was the same. I was like, you know, I love mushrooms. You know, I'd got the kits from Bunnings and had absolutely no success whatsoever. Yep. 
<laughs> you know, it was like, oh, okay. Like, this is, this is not as easy as I thought. Um, and then by doing Aaron's uh, course, I was like, oh, hang on, this, this could be a doable thing. And, yeah, I loved it and, you know, just was doing it um, on paper pellets or kitty litter. That's mm-hmm. how we were taught initially. And um, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then when he came around the second time, um, I did his advanced course and where he was growing on logs and so forth like that and thought, oh, this, this is super amazing and just, you know, honed my skills and read books and, and that sort of thing. But was still, um, you know, certainly not ready to do workshops or anything like that on my own. I was still learning a, a lot and growing different types. And the mushroom um, community and all that sort of thing has come on a lot too. You could only get a few different strains of oyster mushrooms, you know, several years ago when I started. Whereas now, you know, the things, the mushroom spawn that you can get is like quite substantial now, all sorts of different ones. Um, And I also wanted to grow in the garden, see if it was possible to grow in the garden. And, um, you know, because they have such great benefits, like the mycelium that um, mushrooms grow on and all that sort of thing, just the, the great things for your soil you know, we all know mycelium is fabulous at the best of times, mm-hmm. um, but even introducing, you know, oyster mushrooms or uh, red wine caps or whatever into the garden just increases that so much. So initially, um, I, as I said, I did the second course and then um, Aaron moved actually to London right at the start of the pandemic. And of course, he couldn't actually work over there, um, you know, because everything like us had shut down and so forth. So he decided that he would actually do an online component, but he needed, um, he also wanted to do a practical component as well. So he put those together and he needed some facilitators in Australia to do that. So um, when he put out the thing, I was like, oh, I put my hand up and was like, I'd really like that. That'd be super cool. Because I wasn't ready to go out on my own, I didn't think I had enough um, knowledge at that time. But I thought, well, that's great. So he can be the, the teacher as such, but I can be there and learning while I'm going and helping people learn as well. So um, I did that and facilitated his workshops for about two and a bit years. Um, and then he moved, He got married and moved over to Bali and he went a different way. So he's over there doing uh, uh, courses and so forth over there and getting right into the technical side. Um, you know, flow hoods and sterilization and all that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, and he decided that he would not do the workshops anymore. So that's when I was like, oh, that seems like there's a little bit of a um, a market for that. So again, did some more research and played with it around, grew heaps of mushrooms at home, working out what were the best ones and, you know, that would give the best um um, crop and all that sort of thing and um, then decided that I would start some some workshops and it's it's been fabulous we've had some great um, workshops that have gone on and people have just loved it we've had fabulous feedback and a lot of the feedback is we thought it was going to be too hard we didn't yeah. realize that it was quite as easy or as accessible as we you know as you've you've made it um, so what we've done is just taken out all the 
the technical stuff. So the the flow hoods and the big sterilization that um, you know the commercial growers need, and really pared it back. So yes, we will get contamination eventually, but we've got a few things to minimise that. Um, and so what we can grow, things that we can grow on like kitty litter, so paper pellets, which are super easily accessible. You can grab them from your local pet shop or the supermarket. Um, we can grow things like reishi so you, you, and turkey tail, so your medicinal um, ones. Yeah. Um, reishi, turkey tail, lion's mane um, yep. and all that sort of thing. And then all your edibles as well, um, so all your different types of oyster mushrooms. So there's pink oysters and king oysters, um, phoenix oysters. So there's a whole lot that you can just grow if you had nothing else but paper pellets. So, so cool. Um, I, that was one of my things. I always got scared about it being not safe, like dangerous, like I'd yeah. poison yeah. myself somehow. Or yeah. That was so, my biggest fear. Yeah, like so to put it into per, into perspective, yeah, we do have to be careful, especially with field mushrooms and foraging, um, mm. and that's certainly not my area of expertise. And if you were going to do that and pick them from, you know, out in the fields and so forth, you really need someone who is super experienced and mm. knows what they're doing. But in saying that, there is about... Um, Three mil, I think it's about three million um, species of mushroom, like of, of mycelium that grow mushrooms, if you like. And so of that, there's about 25 species that will make you crook and there's only about a handful that will kill you. So, okay. you, like, your chances of actually, um, you know, Picking a mushroom and being super unwell um, is quite small, but again, the consequences are quite bad. So oh, definitely, yeah. you know, make sure that you are experienced in that. The great thing about growing these mushrooms at home is you'll always know what you're getting is safe because you're buying from, um, you know, registered spawn and all that sort of thing so you're getting it from a commercial supplier that grows this stuff all the time we've got yeah. some great commercial growers um in in australia that are really safe that have been doing it for for many years um it's it's really easily accessible you can get it quite easily it's not that expensive either for what you get um I've and you can also come down a little bit too with the spawn maybe that's because the the market's yeah. starting to grow and it's becoming a little the, bit more well known i and i think that's right too yeah so um you know obviously the more demand for something you know often the price will come down because they can do it in bigger batches and yeah. and all that sort of thing so yeah we're finding that um the spawn and, and the variety too is is growing every time you know you get on and I'm super excited. I'm, you know, it's almost like plants. I get on, oh, there's, there's another one. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna try I need this, this in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I haven't tried that one before. Let's have a go at that one. So, yeah, you know, sometimes you got to pair it back a little bit. But uh, I think we can all relate to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. So, yeah, but, you know, super easily accessible. I, when I teach my workshops, we... Not only do we do like paper pellets, which is really easy, 
And I find paper pellets are great for people like in small houses or units or anything like that, much less mess. Um, It's also a great way for kids to grow. So um, we often use lime water as a pasteurization technique. Um, But obviously you're using lime and it can be a little bit abrasive and corrosive. And so so it's not great for little kids. Um, But when you're using the paper pellets, because they're like almost pre-sterilized, they've been heat treated to make them into pellets. Um, And we use a little bit of dishwashing liquid in the water to hydrate them um, as an alternative to the lime. So super safe for kids to get in there and have a go. Um, Yeah, so and I find the kids really love it, getting their hands in and mixing it up and and that sort of thing. And then to see, you know, a few weeks later that they're getting mushrooms, yeah, it's super exciting for them. So um a, a speedy process too it's not like you know they plant a tree and they have yeah. to okay kids will come back in five years and this tree will be you know yeah. six foot tall absolutely it's like they can almost well when they start yeah. fruiting you can, you can almost sit there and watch it can't you like from hour to well, hour like you absolutely can yeah you absolutely can so when they actually start fruiting they can actually double in size every day Whoa. so you, you, yeah, yeah so you've got to be really careful you know they're like zucchinis, you know, when you go out to the zucchini <laughs> yes. and you go, oh, I might get that one tomorrow, and you go out and it's like twice the size. And, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that's right. So they're a bit like that. So you have to sort of, you know, it's that fine line, well, oh, maybe we'll pick them a little bit earlier because they just grow so quickly. And so your white oysters, um, in ideal circumstances and the right temperature and all that sort of thing, you can actually have, the mushrooms or the fruit in nine days oh yeah. wow yeah so, so quick yeah so, so it's pretty amazing but you know this time of year you know a couple of weeks um and we've shown that um we did a um a workshop uh not last uh, it'd be three weekends ago now and they've all like most of the class have already got big flushes of their out of their buckets so of pink oh, and cool. white oysters so they're all very excited so which is great so cool my yeah. little boy loves mushrooms he's three like what three-year-old likes mushrooms yeah but he loves them so yeah. we're super keen to grow some especially if yeah. we could do it with them he'd love that my kids my kids did love them not so much at the moment I'm hoping they'll go back to it you know they're, they're a bit teenagers at the moment so yeah. you know they just grunt at you so. it's like having toddlers <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um and then we learn on um how to uh, do it on straw as well and sugarcane okay. mulch. Yeah. Um, so that one actually gives you your highest yields and it's a little bit uh, less intensive in that you don't have to feed your straw um, with the mushrooms because it actually has em- enough nutrients in that. But as you can imagine, it, you know, if you're in a unit, you probably don't want sugarcane mulch or straw all over mm-hmm. the place. It can be a little bit messy. Yeah. Um, but it's something that most people, especially gardeners, have at home. Yeah. Um, I'm also experimenting with using banner grass. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we're going to have a go. Like, as I said, we've got quite a lot of banner grass here. Um, so, you know, like, let's give it a go. If it works, it's great. Um, if it doesn't, you know, no harm, no foul. <laughs> the thing, isn't it? You just yeah. give it a go. Exactly. Exactly right. So, you know, and um, especially white oysters and your oysters, they're a bit like, 
the weeds of the mushroom thing <laughs> and they grow so easily on a lot of stuff. We can grow them on cardboard really quite easily. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, yeah. Like shredded cardboard or? Yeah, just, you can actually just rip it into pieces, dampen it down, put the, the, mice, the spawn into it. Mm. And it'll often, um, yeah, often grow on those. So, so you can actually cool. do that. So if at the time you don't have, say, king oyster spawn, but you want to grow some king oysters and you've gone to the shops and purchased them, you can actually use the butts of the um, king oyster to actually grow some spawn so that you can, you know, inoculate, say, a bucket later down the track. So Really, oh, cool. you actually don't, you know, there are ways that where you don't actually even have to buy spawn. So if you don't have the money to actually buy spawn, there are ways that you can actually grow mushrooms with almost no cost. Wow. So basically a bucket with some holes, some wet shredded cardboard and a couple of mushrooms from the shop and you can give it a crack. Yep. That, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> Yeah, it's much it's much easier than than people think, and because you're not growing commercially, you know, um, it's it's not a big deal if a bucket contaminates. You know, yep. if it contaminates, great. Well, okay, if you even the paper pellets, I pop in the compost, um, the straw. If it if it's contaminated, I'll often just use just use it as a um, you know a mulch in your garden. Yep. No dramas at all. And oftentimes you'll probably even get a flush of mushrooms when you've popped it in the garden anyway. So, yeah, yeah. It's so it's, it's super cool. There's really no waste, which is which is great. You can use all the waste that you use. Um, and we use, like, unfortunately the mushroom um, things, it, it's a really heavy plastic user, um, like a lot of gardening sort of thing they, they are really heavy in plastic you can't buy spawn unless it's in a unless you do it yourself um which takes a, a whole lot of things um it's all in plastic so mm. that's why even though we're using plastic buckets we're using the you know good quality food grade ones and we're reusing them time yep. and time again i've got buckets that are like five and seven years old because you're not having them in the sun, so they don't break down. So you can keep using those buckets. You can use recyclable buckets, um, you know, like honey, um, yep. you know, your honey buckets, your yogurt buckets, you know, your kilo buckets of yogurt that you can buy at the supermarket. Often yep. people will buy them. You can use those. I've used Tupperware containers, you know, that I've been throwing out and all that sort of So um, old washing baskets. Oh, so, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's lots of things, you know, to try and minimise that. And the great thing about it, if you're growing your own mushrooms, as you as you know, when you go to the supermarket, all your mushrooms are, you know, on styrofoam, um, you know, the nice ones too, are on styrofoam plates with plastic mm -hmm. all over them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, by reducing, by having your own mushrooms and, and growing your own mushrooms, you are reducing it, you know, quite substantially as well, which is so good. For family of four like we are what kind of size container would you recommend kind of start with to see so, how you go yeah so I I use 10 litre buckets here um just because they're not so heavy 
they're easily yeah. stackable you can you know you can stack three or four on top of each other in a fairly small space um and have more than enough like you know if you had uh, maybe four buckets um you know even if you had eight but had like rotate them around that would be more than enough for a family of four you know that that do eat quite a lot of mushrooms so yeah yeah so I often have enough like you know that I'll dry um and all that sort of thing and then if you start doing um so in the buckets you know you can grow pretty much all year round but when you're starting in the garden you will get like seasonal um flushes so you know like your shiitakes on your logs so they're a real long game they you know, they will take up to sort of two years to actually get a flush of mushrooms, but then that log will probably grow um, flush for 10 years. Wow. Yeah, and the great thing about logs is they're pretty much set and forget. So you inoculate your logs, you know, it takes a couple of hours to inoculate some logs, um, and then you set them in your garden, you know, in a, in a nice shady spot in the garden, and let them do their own thing you know you, the worst thing that you might have to do is give them a water every now and then to keep them a bit moist and set and forget so you know they're great for busy people because you really don't have to do much <laughs> yeah that investment of, of time and energy to be able to reap the rewards yeah. it's like well I suppose you know you can compare um, your bucket mushrooms and your log mushrooms to growing annuals and perennials you know, perennials, it's going to take you a little bit yeah, longer to get exactly that harvest, right. but you're going to get that year in, year out with a much less effort exactly. than what you do with your, with your annuals. So, yeah. The annuals. I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to yeah, ask you, indeed. when you were talking about um, contamination, I suppose if someone's listening and they really just have no idea about mushrooms at all and they're thinking, oh, my goodness, the word yep. contamination – can you, I suppose, explain a little yeah. bit more about what that means? Because that might sort of put people off and think, oh, no, well, I couldn't possibly eat them if they're yeah. contaminated. Yeah, so no, so it's not the actual mushrooms that are contaminated. It's actually your substrate. So yeah. because we are um, not using big labs or great big sterilising machines and autoclaves that, you know, often take up the size of a room, you know, in the commercial grow sense, they, you know, they're massive and they put all their things in there. And they actually, what they actually do is sterilize them so that they're completely devoid of life. So all you, all their substrates are completely devoid of life. And then they introduce in sterile, in really sterile, um, you know, circumstances, they actually um, inoculate the, the spawn then like the you know they might use um like a millet mix or whatever to make spawn so mm -hmm. they've sterilized it got rid of everything on that and then they've inoculated it with the spawn and let it grow and then that's what you we would use so that's it's super sterile um and they don't have any problems with contamination now because we're not doing everything super sterile um, yes, we're doing things to minimise it, like using a lime water pasteurisation technique, um, uh, which we learn on the workshop. Which is, it, which is again, is very easy with, you know, super easy stuff to to get. But it is a, a step that we need to do. So, yes, we are minimising the chances of contamination, but we're still we're not devoiding the um, your substrate of all yeah. life. So. And and our, our I suppose our end game is to 
make sure that our spawn is stronger than whatever else is left on your substrate. Okay. So, and usually, and often it is because one, you're using it at a higher concentrate and two, like they're really strong, um, like it's a really strong mycelium that grows super quickly in a lot of these oyster mushrooms. Um, You know, we still try and be as clean as we possibly can and all that sort of thing. But eventually, because, you know, in the environment, there are blights and molds and all that sort of thing that are just in our environment that we can't really stop. Eventually, you will get um, the most common one is like trichoderma. So it's that bluey green mold that you often see on bread that's gone off Mm -hmm. um you know it's it's a really common mold on foods and and you know um coffee grounds that have sat there for a little while it's quite common so you will often get that but you in saying that you will often get you know four five flushes of mushrooms before that's an issue it's obvious when that happens it you yeah it usually is and it's usually and it's usually not the mushrooms that are affected it's actually only your substrate so even if your substrate has a little bit of that mold on it the great thing about mushrooms not only for molds and all that sort of thing but they don't uptake chemicals so um the great yeah mushrooms are one of those great uh things that you know not like say celery and that sort of thing that suck up all the you know the poisons that if they've been sprayed and that sort of thing not that we should be spraying mushrooms but they certainly um don't uptake that sort of thing as well there was actually a study done in um in america somewhere where there was an oil field a diesel um that had been contaminated with diesel and so they decided that they were going to inoculate it with an oyster mushroom so um when they first took the readings of the um, the contamination it was uh, it was at something like 220 uh, sorry 2,000 parts per million yeah and um, sorry 20,000 parts per million and then when 10 weeks after the mycelium had come in and the oyster mushrooms had grown in it it was down to 20 parts per million whoa that's so a massive improvement massive absolutely massive so um, and apparently the mushrooms were still edible. So not sure whether I would have eaten them. I was going to say probably not recommended, but, yeah. So And there's lots of um, this sort of thing happening in the mushroom space um, about using them for decontaminating fields and, and so forth. So, you know, that that's exciting in itself. Um, the only thing that they do tend to take up, like, you know, almost everything is heavy metals. So... You know, as long as you you don't have any heavy metals, you should be, yeah, perfectly fine, which is, you know, really great and, you know, improves the soil and and all the life in the soil as well. So. What are some of the, the favourite names of mushrooms that you've come across? Because I've, you know, when I've jumped in and I've had a look at different mushrooms, like, you know, there's oh. one on your, I think it's on your website, on your Instagram page or something, like it's Monster Blue and, like, there's some really yeah, cool yeah. names. <laughs> There really are. There really are. And and you'll find too um, different places will call the same kind of mushroom different sort of things. Oh. But, yeah, like there's, yeah, Monster Blue, there's King Oyster, uh, there's Phoenix, um, oh, Kings, 
yeah, there's there's lots of different ones. Like we've got the pinks and yellows, yeah, which are just spectacular. Like they almost look like a bunch of flowers when they they come oh. out. They're they're just so pretty, um, and really beautiful eating as well. They they the pinks especially are really good, dried up, nice and crispy. Um, and your yellows, like they're a much finer texture, um, and they're great in salads and um, and that sort of thing. So they keep their colour when you cook them, or they change. Uh, they do dull quite a little, quite a bit, but you can sort yeah. of still tell that they are. Yeah, yeah they okay. are the pink and the yellow. Yeah. Um, I was just saying there about the yellow, how they're great in salads. Just so um, everyone realises, mushrooms actually have a, um, a coating, if you like, that is called chitin, and that's all mushrooms. And they actually, humans can't break them down. So if you're eating mushrooms raw, they're fine, but you don't get any nutritional value out of them. So they, oh. mushrooms actually do need to be heated to break that chitin mm. down to get the nutritional benefits. Yeah, so a lot of people that. don't know. No, that. I had no, I had idea, no idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've used, yeah, I've used, you know, raw mushrooms in salads all the time. Yeah. But yeah, it just passes through as roughage if it's not heated. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, fun, fun, yeah, so it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Permaculture trivia question. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, we're also. Um, growing like in the garden as well so um on um either wood chips or in straw or sugarcane mulch and in in straight into garden beds as well which is super easy um and once you've inoculated an area you're pretty much guaranteed mushrooms for life so yeah so in that way it's a really cost effective way of adding um you know lots of food to your garden oh cool Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, and the benefits to the garden, the benefits to the soil. I mean, even growing them in the buckets, even like after, like you're saying before, you've taken your flush, or you've taken your one or two, or maybe even three flushes, depending on what you're growing and the conditions. Yeah, and then being able to put that into your compost and add that beautiful diversity and that mix to your compost that mm. then gets passed onto your vegetables, or even if you throw that straight onto your vegetables as mulch, like the benefits yeah. that continue like it's just ongoing it's not like it's just about the mushrooms yeah it's super cool it's it's, it's great a you know closed loop system isn't it it is yeah that's right yeah so um and i'm hoping if the banner grass you know takes off and i can yeah. and do that like yeah it's a completely closed system i'm not having to buy in um yeah. you know substrate so which is super cool we'll definitely be watching closely You'll have to share um, next year when you do plan some more workshops what they are so people can check it out and, and book, book in. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'll, I'll be starting, I'm going to um, do some dates very shortly um, and we'll be starting back in February just to let everyone get over the Christmas break and craziness. all that sort of thing. We're not sure when this episode yeah. is live, so for anyone listening, um, this is, yeah, we're talking about January, February 2024. So don't think that, yeah, yeah. Just, yes. oh, my goodness, I've got to wait till 25. <laughs> No, no, yeah, that's right. But um, we can share little snippets on Instagram before we go live in Jan. So if yeah. um people want to, you do Christmas like for Christmas presents, yeah, vouchers, and things. Yeah, I, that's something I'm uh, doing in the next couple of days is actually putting some um yeah vouchers up 
awesome. so that you know if anyone wants to do that for Christmas that would be fabulous <laughs> lovely I think yeah. I might buy me a gift for Christmas this year <laughs> that sounds like a plan <laughs> hey Joe, I'll buy you one and you buy me one yeah that sounds good you can do that <laughs> Oh, yes, let me and my girlfriend often do that, that, that sort <laughs> yeah. of thing too. <laughs> we can just go together, you know, it works out. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Have a weekend um, away. So we normally ask one final um, grounding question to everybody that comes on and that's what was um, one piece of permaculture advice that you'd want to share for someone just starting out? I think just start, you mm. know, just start. Um, and and be open to change like you, if you have a design it's not set in stone you can change it um you know all the time um yeah. you, often things will change your lifestyle will change so i think your plan has to change with it so i think that's probably you know just be open to change and and don't don't think that it's once you've done that plan and like I get, you know, those plans take a while to do and you fiddle around with them for ages, but it's, it's okay to change it and to, to change things, you know, when your lifestyle changes or your circumstances change, you know, like as we can see at the moment, like the rental crisis and the housing crisis yeah. is, is getting, you know, so what people might have, you know, and then they may have to sell their house. They can still do it. You just have to, you know, change the the way you do it. So, but yeah, get started and be open to change, I suppose. <laughs> That's awesome advice for sure. It's great advice. Yeah. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us, Kelly. It was so good. I learned lots of stuff and I can't wait to um, book in next year and get stuck into it. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Oh, thank you. I can't you. wait to see you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's great to meet you in person. And we, we don't live that far away yeah. from each other either. So I'm only over near Brankston. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, you know, lovely. We yeah, might nice. actually run into each other at a, uh, a produce share at some stage. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Fantastic. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, have a good day, Kelly. Thank you, you too. Bye. Thanks. See Bye. ya. <laughs> And that's the end of the episode. So thanks for listening to the Practical Permaculture podcast. We hope this episode gave you some inspiration, confidence, and has helped you in your permi journey. Don't forget to head to the show notes for all of the resources mentioned in today's episode. And if you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. It definitely helps to push us out further. And if you didn't, well, that's okay. I'm sure you'll find something that you love. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.